So we're in our sermon series of relationships. Um, last week we talked about our most, most important relationship, and that is our relationship with Christ. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about our relationship with fellow believers, our biblical community. Um, so if you'll pray with me, um, and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for the people here to hear what you have to say through me, Lord. These aren't my words coming forward, but these are your words through me. This is your message to be preached. I'm just the vessel. Um, Lord, I pray that you, have, that you open their hearts to hear what has to be said, Lord, what you have to say to them about what true biblical community looks like. Um, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for everything that you will do. Amen. Um, so tonight we're going to answer three questions about biblical community. What is biblical community? How should biblical community function? And then lastly, why do we need it? Um, so the main text that we're going to be in is going to be Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. So if you'll turn there with me. So Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So before we get into this, um, what is biblical community? When I say biblical community, what do I mean? Well, first and foremost, biblical community is Christ-centered. The center of all relationships within biblical community is Christ. Um, Last week, if you were here, uh, Merrick had an illustration. If not, I'll try to do my best to explain it. Um, He had three vessels. He had a pitcher, a cup, and then a large bowl. Um, The cup is us. We are the cup. The pitcher of water is Christ, and the large bowl was community. The, The cup was placed inside the bowl, and the idea is as we are connected to the source of water, the pitcher, as the pitcher pours into us, which is Christ, the overflow of that pours out into community. And so that is the idea of what biblical community is. It is the overflow of Christ in us in our relationship with others. And so there was an illustration that someone once told me. I don't remember when. I don't remember who. um, But it's of the cross. So the cross has two cross beams. There's a vertical cross beam and a horizontal cross beam. The vertical cross beam going up and down is our relationship with God, um, our relationship with Christ. The horizontal is our relationship with fellow believers, our relationship with others. And the intersection of that relationship between us and God and us and others is Christ. And we can't have all of them without Christ being what holds it together. Um, And so Christ is a sinner. Christ is a sinner of biblical community. Without Christ, you don't have biblical community. You just have community. Um, So moving from what is biblical community. So we now have an understanding of biblical community is the overflow of Christ in an individual among fellow believers. Um, This is where we're going to be spending most of our time tonight in this next point of how should biblical community function. Um, In the text... We see, verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Several weeks ago, Merrick preached a sermon, and he spent a considerable amount of time making sure we understood what the word consider means. And again, in case you weren't here to hear that, um, we're going to have a little refresher. Um, Consider. The Merriam-Webster definition for consider is to think carefully in regard to an action. And so, what are things we consider? We considered what school to go to. 
and we all here chose tech. Um, we considered what major to have, at least hopefully you considered that major and didn't just throw a, throw a dart at it and say, all right, kinesiology, sweet. Um, so we choose a major. We, if you're graduating, hopefully you got the choice to consider what job to take and you didn't just take the first one that came along. Um, you consider which city to move to, you consider who to date, who to marry. These are things that you consider. You take careful time considering what you're going to do and then you do it. There's an action that follows the thought process. And so the writer of the Hebrews tells us to consider, what are we to consider? Well, we're to consider how to stir up one another. Now, if we stop there, I could probably have the world's shortest sermon because we're really good at getting people stirred up. Um, the word here in Greek literally translates to provoke. Um, so he's telling us how to provoke one another. Um, if, silly example, but go with me on this, if I wanted to provoke Merrick, Okay, we all know Merrick is a very big LeBron James fan. Dan, I know, I'm sorry, you said if LeBron James was ever spoken of from the pulpit again, you would leave. So please don't. Please hear me out. Merrick is a very big LeBron James fan. If I were to walk into Merrick's office and I say, Merrick, Michael Jordan is far better than LeBron James currently is or ever will be, Merrick would then be provoked to prove me wrong. After about 35 minutes and a couple YouTube videos later, Merrick will have proven his point to me as to why why LeBron James is better. Um, but a more realistic example, if you want to provoke someone to an action, go out downtown Ruston between the hours of 4.30 and 5.30 and just abruptly change lanes. Because you're going to provoke that person behind you to do something. Um, you're going to cut that person off. They're going to be provoked. Um, in the English language, we like to think of the word provoke with a negative connotation to it. Um, the word provoke usually follows a negative action. In school, in high school for me anyways, people were provoked and there were fights that followed. Um, very rarely do we hear what the writer of the Hebrews says, to provoke one another to love and good works. Um, and so when we look at this, we're to provoke people to an action, and that action is to be love and good works. We're to provoke them to love each other and to serve each other. But how do we do that? What is love? What is service? Last week we talked about our relationship with God um, as the most important relationship that we have. First uh, John 4, 7 through 11, the text should be on the screen, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. What do we see here? We see that love isn't from us. Love is from God. The only way we can truly love one another is if we have that relationship with God. It says to be born of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, Merrick's mentioned him several times, the German theologian says this, spiritual love does not desire, but rather serves. It loves an enemy as a brother, and it can only do this because love originates in neither the enemy nor in the brother, but in Christ and his word. What he's saying is that our capability to love one another doesn't come from them. It doesn't come from their capability to love us. It comes from the overflow of Christ's love in us. And so we see we're to stir up love in one another. But how? How do we stir love up in one another? Well, just some practical ways um, that I thought about was one, well, setting the example. Um, to mimic Christ in your life. If Christ is the love that we are to show others, then we are to live that way. We are to live as Christ lived, love as Christ loved. Um, another way I thought of was, Merrick says this all the time, 
which is a quote from C.S. Lewis, so if Merrick says this to you, know it's from C.S. Lewis. Um, we are to be reminded of things more often than we need to be taught new things. And so simply reminding one another of that the love of God has for them, reminding one another of what Christ did for them on the cross, the love that God has for them is how you stir that love up in one another. Maybe it's reminding one another. And I think the most difficult way to stir love up in one another or to be stirred up in love is to be confronted. And what I mean by this is if you're, if you're in sin or you see a friend who is trapped in a sin, um, their lifestyle doesn't match up with what they say they believe, then to confront them in that sin isn't to shame them, isn't to call them out, but you loving them is making sure you don't want to leave them where they are now. In that sin, you don't want to leave them there. You want to call them out of that sin. You want to make them more like Christ in that. And so, but it doesn't look like to love someone. to see someone trapped in sin and say, I'm going to let them deal with that. I'm going to turn a blind eye. I'm going to imagine I didn't know that they did that. That's not love. That is leaving them in sin. That is leaving them in a broken relationship with Christ. To truly love someone, and the most difficult way, I think, to love someone is to go up to that person in love and say, man, I don't want to leave you where you're at. I want to help you through this. I want to get you through this. Um, and so, how do we love? Set the example. Remind one another. And the hardest way is to not to leave our brothers and sisters in the fallen state and in sin. So, whenever we're stirred up in love, love is an internal motivation. When we're internally motiv- motivated, when we're internally motivated, it produces an external action. That external action is service, good works. We want to help those around us. Like Bonhoeffer said, spiritual love does not desire, but it serves. It's not concerned about what it can do for me. It's about what I can do for others. Is a, so the whole idea of stirring up one another, um, it's kind of an, a difficult thing to think about of what it looks like to stir one another up. But Merrick and I were talking earlier, and he reminded me of this event that happened. So Josh Moore... Um, usually leads worship, really loves Taco Bell. Taco Bell's his go-to place. If you're, he said, I'm going to go get food, and you had to guess where he was going, it'd be Taco Bell. Um, so he comes to the depot one day with his Taco Bell, and he's sitting up on the couches up front, and he's eating it, and the smell of Taco Bell starts to fill the room. The aroma starts to fill the room. People start to see it and start saying, man, like, Taco Bell looks good. Like, it's not healthy, but it looks good. And so there are several people who, who, after they got that smell, after saw him eating Taco Bell, said, man, I, I want some Taco Bell. Now, please don't be thinking about Taco Bell the rest of the sermon. Um, it's a risk I'm willing to take telling you the story. So these people, there's about four of them that say, all right, I want to go get some Taco Bell now. Taco Bell sounds really good. So they go and they get Taco Bell. Well, they come back. But the four that went didn't include Emily Compton because Emily Compton said, no, I don't want to spend money on Taco Bell. It's, it's not good for you, you know, I'm trying to be healthy. I don't want Taco Bell. So when the four come back, the aroma of Taco Bell, the appeal of Taco Bell was multiplied. And then it was to the point where Emily Compton said, you know what, I want Taco Bell. Like, I need Taco Bell. So Merrick went and brought her Taco Bell. And so that is the idea of being stirred up in love and service. Whenever we love and serve others, there should be that aroma, that appeal that people see. They see it in us and say, I want a part of that. I want to be able to love and serve like they love and serve. And the more of us that love and serve, it's a trickling effect. The more that we love and serve, the more that others around us will love and serve because we are stirring this up in one another. We're being provoked to love and to serve. And so we see that biblical community should function with love and service. Uh, Starting in verse 25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
Well, 2,000 years ago, people thought that they didn't need to be a part of biblical community. They thought that they could do life on their own. And well, today that argument is still valid. Um, people say that I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. My church attendance doesn't determine whether I'm saved or not. Yes, while technically true, um, Lauren and I are dating. This is my girlfriend, Lauren, right here. So imagine if we're dating and I say, Lauren, I really like being around you. I think you're a cool person. I think you're pretty. Um, but I really just don't want to spend that much time with you. Like if I saw you Easter and Christmas, like that'd be cool. And maybe for only a couple hours then. Yes, we technically could still do that. We still technically could be dating if we did that. But what would that relationship consist of? What would be that relationship? What would that be? What would be the point of me dating her if I'm only going to see her two hours twice a week or twice a year? Um, and so that's kind of the same idea here that, yes, although technically we can be a Christian and not be a part of a community, but why? Christ calls the community his bride. Um, and Merrick, I'm a big fan of Merrick. I like Merrick. I like Emily, too. But imagine if I went up to Merrick and said, man, I like hanging out with you. I like spending time with you. But Emily, like, man, does she always have to be around? Like, do I have to hang out with Emily, too? Can I just hang out with you? Um, they're a package deal. They're married. They're one. And that's the same idea with Christ and the church. The, the church is the bride of Christ. And so you can't have one without having the other. Um, Romans 12, 3 through 8. I'm not going to read it. It's just kind of a summary says, we all have different gifts that are necessary to make one full body. So the idea here is that the, people, the mindset of people who don't think that they need church to be a Christian is what can the church do for me? What can I get out of this? How am I being benefited by being a part of this? When the idea is, it's not that. It's not what can I get, but what can I do? We see that in Ephesians 4:16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When you're not a part of the body in some way, you're hurting the body. To be, to be not a part of the body means that there's some part of the body that is lacking the function in which you provide. Jesus commands us um, in the Great Commission, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but to enable to disciple someone, you have to know that person. You have to do life with the person. The idea of discipling is to walk through life with them. And if Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, to walk through life with people, then how can we be Christians in isolation? How can we be Christians without meeting together? Um, so we see that in the function of biblical community is to love one another, is to serve one another, and to fellowship with one another. The fourth point from the text is this, starting in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouragement's a funny thing, um, mainly because it's so easy to do, and yet we do it so little. Um, I know for me personally... I can't remember the last time that I truly, genuinely encouraged someone to do something. Um, but without encouragement, I wouldn't be able to be up here tonight. Um, two weeks ago, I decided that I wanted to preach the sermon, so I told Merrick. I said, Merrick, I really want to preach the sermon. I like the topic. I like the idea. I think two weeks is enough time for me to prepare this, which, by the way, Merrick does this in less than two weeks, and I honestly have no idea how. I finished earlier today, and I've been at it for two weeks. Um, but two weeks, I decided I was going to do this. Um, 
And from the minute that I started, the devil snuck in and said, you're not good enough. You don't have a seminary degree. You know, you're not going to be able to complete this. And, well, I would start working. I would start typing. All right, so I need, I need to find some text that I can use to go along with this sermon. Well, I found a list of them, but none of them seemed to do any good. I can't seem to pull anything from this. Well, I sat down with Merrick. We found a text that we could go through, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And I was looking through it, and Merrick said, all right, I want you to find two things, the point of the sermon and the point of the text. Okay, so I found those, and they had nothing to do with each other. I was like, okay, well, I don't want to twist a text to meet what I want to say in a sermon. So I said, Merrick, like, this isn't going to work. So I found another text that I thought would work. And so we sat down, we talked about that, and we looked at it and said, well, maybe the whole thing I need to do is re- refocus the point of the sermon to match the point of the text. Um, so all this to say that along the way, as I was struggling, Merrick was there to encourage me, to build me up, to say, all right, you know, we can do this, we can do this. Also, Lauren, again, my girlfriend, ever since two weeks ago, I told her that I was going to be doing this. I don't think there was a day that went by that at some point in time, she did not tell me how proud of, Whew, didn't think that was going to happen, how excited she was <laughs> for me to be up here, um, how proud of me she was, um, and constantly, 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 as the devil would come in and tell me I wasn't good enough, she would be there to tell me that I could do it. She didn't even know this was happening. I never once told her until yesterday, I think, that, you know, I've been having doubts about being able to do this. But constantly, without knowing that, she was there to encourage me. And even tonight, as tonight happened, there were several people who come up and said, Jacob, like, you're going to do great. You can do this. I believe in you. You're going to do great. And so there's just the encouragement of people. Um, the world out there is a dangerous and deadly place that wants to tear you down, tell you you can't do it, tell you you're not good enough, tell you that you've done too much for God to love you. But biblical community should be the place where we can come to be encouraged, to say what the world has told you is a lie. But here's what God has to say. Here's the encouragement that God has for you. So four functions of biblical community. Love, serve, fellowship, and encourage. But this begs the question of why. Why do we even need biblical community? We see the functions of it. We see where to love, serve, fellowship, and encourage one another. But why? What is the purpose of having biblical community? And the last part of the text, um, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now in your Bibles, you'll see that day here is capitalized. It's not talking about the end of a 24-hour period. It's talking about the end of times. Christ's second coming. Um, There's an urgency to this. There's an urgency to needing to do this. But why is there an urgency? Because we are procrastinators. We like to wait until the last minute to do things. But what he's saying here is we don't know when the last minute is. The last minute could be in 30 minutes. The last minute could be in 30 years. We don't know. So there's an urgency to fulfilling these things. The point of biblical community is not so we can come and stay within these four walls. There is a world out there that needs to hear the message that we have. That same world that likes to tear us down and tell us we can't do it, they need to hear the hope that we have. The point of biblical community is so we can come here, be built up, built up in love, as Ephesians 4.16 said, when the body works together, it is built up in love. We need to be built up so that we can go and we can share what we have with the world. Martin Luther shares a powerful quote. Um, I'm just going to preface that before I read it because it's, it's pretty good. Um, he says, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be in the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. 
If Christ had done what you were doing, whoever would have been spared? What he's saying here is, if we stay in these four walls, if Christ had done that exact thing, if Christ had stayed in the four walls of the people who loved him, the people who thought like him, where would we be? We were once enemies of God. If we were enemies of God and Christ did not care to reach out to us, where would we be? Would we have been spared? Christ chose to use us, the church, as his means of saving the world. We cannot stay within the four walls of the church and neglect the world outside that needs us. The point of biblical community is to do life together in the midst of the enemy, to have one another around us, to build us up, to encourage us, to love, to serve, to fellowship with one another. so that we can go out into the world and teach them and tell them the good news that we have. At the end of the day, when your head hits the pillow, you'll have one of two thoughts. You'll either look back on your day and regret the decisions you didn't make, the conversations you didn't have, the doors you didn't walk through, or you'll lay down with your head on your pillow with a smile on your face, looking forward to the reward that is for you in heaven. As the band comes back up here, I just have a couple questions that I want y'all to think through. First is this. Are you actively a part of biblical community? Is biblical community an active part of your life? If not, why? Have you been burned by the church before? Have you had a bad experience with it before? Are you bitter towards it? If so, I encourage you to take another look at this text and see what the point of biblical community is. It's to love and serve and fellowship and encourage. It's to build one another up, not to tear each other down. If you are a part of a biblical community, if you are actively involved, are your relationships in the community encouraging or discouraging? Do you build people up or do you tear people down? If you discourage and you tear down, I encourage you that tonight, find those people, seek forgiveness for those people, love those people. And lastly, are you living comfortably among roses and lilies or is your life lived among the enemy? Are you comfortable where you're at inside these four walls? Or do you want to go out and share what you have with the world? And in order to be a part of biblical community, the first and foremost thing that we talked about is you have to have a relationship with Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, then the point of biblical community is going to fall on deaf ears. If you don't have that relationship, I encourage you, pray, ask for forgiveness, seek Christ, follow him with your heart, Seek him as your Lord and Savior. Merrick's in the back. I'll be in the back. If you want to come talk to us, please do. If you have any comments or concerns, questions about the sermon, you have a card when you came in. Fill that out. We would love to, have to read what you have to say. We would love to follow up with you on any thoughts.